Hallelujah. How do you come off the mountain? Yeah, we don't. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Maybe a visitor this morning, and that may be a little bit much for you in worship. Let me tell you, I think that we're up for a rude awakening when we get to heaven. I think it doesn't matter what style or what level or what you're used to. I think we're all going to be shocked. I think we're all going to be shocked with how much the Lord loves for us to give it, give it all that we've got. Give it all that we got. Uh, Pastor Stevens on vacation this week. I, you know, you never really realize how much you appreciate someone like when I'm when I'm gone with with Pastor Stephen and everything that he does in this church and the kind of weight that he carries with uh, just us two pastoral staff uh, members and then my worship team able to take the ball and run with it and everybody fill right in and church just go on and I'm just so thankful for the team that we have here and the worship team and the pastoral staff and Michelle and Elizabeth and Gloria and Michael Graff and just our team. We've just got such a great team and uh, just very thankful. If you didn't know, I was on vacation last week and, you know, you come back and gain new perspective. Uh, Same thing happens with worship. You know, we came in pretty rusty this morning, but you know what? There's something that just happens when you worship the Lord and uh, I don't want to grow numb to that. I want to be, I want that fire to continue to be kindled and be kindled in this church. Those of you that are new, I was the worship leader before the pastor, and that's where my heart is, is in worship. There's no one like him, no one above him, no one beside him. And you know what? When the rubber meets the road, our relationship with the Lord is really all that matters. It doesn't matter what your financial situation or crisis might be. Doesn't matter what your health crisis might be. Doesn't matter what your relationship crisis might be. Your relationship to the Lord is what matters. And the Lord is going to work out. The Lord loves marriage. The Lord loves you. And the Lord does not want you to come up short at the end of the month. So I want to encourage you. Try your best this week. And that's what we're going to be focusing on again today. Is get your focus on the Lord. You can't can't do it without him. Why not do it with him? Amen? All right. Two weeks ago, before I left, we started a topic called um, Love Your Work, I think is what I titled it. I reported a little bit on a survey that was given on the secret of long life. What is the secret to long life? I can tell you one of them. I can tell you probably the one, one of the main ones. And this is not from a... uh, a uh, barn a pole. This is from scripture. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon this land. You want long life, honor your mom and dad. It doesn't say what kind of mom and dad they have to be. It just says honor them. That your days may be long upon this land that the Lord thy God is giving you. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, do we take God's promises literal? Yes. We do. I honor my mom and dad. My days are not going to be cut short. It's a promise. And I can go to God and say, God, you promised. When my health is looking wrong and I feel like I'm trying to do all that I can to honor him, you know what? Maybe, God, I need to 
Relook at honoring. God says, yeah, good. How do you honor your parents? That's not what my sermon is on today. But how did I get off on that? Long life. There we go. Long life. What's the secret to long life? You know, studies have shown that if you have a history, a family history of, of parents that have lived long, of grandparents that have lived long, of course that does help. That, that, that does help to your ability to live long. But let me attack that one for a minute. There are people in this church, there are people that you know that their dad died at 50 years old and his dad died at 50 and his dad died at 50, all of the same disease. And you're just waiting for that day to happen so you'll die. There is no reason that you have to continue on through that. Jesus came to be the curse. If you've got some type of family generational curse going on, it's time to be free of that. So I want to attack that one. The other one is we need to eat healthy. We need to exercise. It's important. You need to take care of yourself. But the number one reason out of this survey that was given for the secret to long life is worker satisfaction. You know, as I started to think about this, I spend more time at work than I do anywhere else besides sleeping. When it comes to relationship with me and my wife, besides on the weekends or even with my kids, I get to spend three, four hours, five hours a day while I spend seven, eight hours at least at work. Spend more time at work than I do anywhere else. That makes sense that why if you're not happy at work, you're not going to be happy at all. It's tough. The number one reason. The key ingredient to long life is enjoying your job. What's the secret of job fulfillment? It's finding something that you love to do and you're willing to do it for nothing. But getting so good at it that people want to pay you for it. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. And we looked at this story from Genesis chapter 24 last week. It's the story of Rebecca and it's the story of Abraham. And Abraham has the responsibility of finding his son a wife. If you remember last time, I kind of made a joke about that. I've got kids coming up, and I kind of like that process. Kind of like the ability to, to, to find my kids, their friends, and their spouses. But unfortunately, it's not the day we live in. I can, there's always prayer. And Jesus could always come back. But for now, I'm not, that's not where I am. But Abraham was. And he said to his servant, he said, Eleazar, Eleazar, I want you to go to this land. I know where my family is. I know where to choose from. It's this area right over here. And Eleazar, I want you to find the woman for my son. And something I left out last week that I just felt like the Lord showed me this morning is we've looked at the, the responses of Rebecca. But look at how Eleazar handled himself. Number one, he did what the, his master said to do. He packed up and he went. He went with 10 camels. But then he sought the Lord for success in what he was to do for his master. Abraham didn't tell him to stop and pray somewhere. This is Eleazar saying, you know what? I need to do good here. My master has given me this responsibility and I need to do good. I believe that this is the, do you remember from two weeks ago? And then some. What did he do? He stopped and prayed and said, God, give me a sign. I'm coming to do my master's work and I want to get the right one, Lord. Whoever comes out to me, let her say, I'm going to give you a drink, but I'm also going to give your camels a drink. Now, I want you to catch something here. I don't believe that Eleazar was asking, asking God to show him something that someone would obviously always do. Does that make sense? The person coming out to water him, he's asking them for something 
Have you ever asked God for a sign and you don't want to ask the sign, Lord, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. If the sun comes up tomorrow, then I'll go do this. It wasn't an obvious statement. It was a statement of, God, I'm believing you. And if this really happens, I know it's you. So we've got to believe that Rebecca's response was a response out of the ordinary. But Eleazar prayed. And you know what? He believed it was going to happen. Now, something happened to me this morning as I was driving to work. As I was driving to church, that sounds funny. As I was driving to church, um, I started having this, this, this word, the word believe kind of popping up in my spirit as I was just driving on these little side roads around my house. And how the phrase comes out of our mouth so quickly, I can't believe that yada, yada, yada. I can't believe. And I started thinking, is that even scriptural? For that word, that phrase to come out of my mouth. I never heard Jesus say it. I can't believe. The problem is we don't believe for God to do anything in our life. In fact, we get a miracle happen. All of a sudden, a check comes in the mail and it helps us get through this month. And I don't know what happened. I can't believe it came in. Nuh-uh. I tithed this Sunday. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been lining myself for the Lord to bless me. Thank you, Jesus. It's not I don't believe. I can't believe. Just a statement just kind of caught me. That may mean something to you. It may not. But I started thinking, Eleazar believed he was going to get an answer. He sought the Lord and believed he was going to get an answer. What happened? He shows up and here comes the first woman. Pretty woman coming right up. And she came up and said, hey, would you like a drink? Yeah, I'd love a drink. Well, I will also feed your, uh, give your camels a drink. Let's look at it real quick. Genesis chapter 24, verse 16. We read the whole thing last time. We're just going to read a portion of it this time. Verse 16. And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Verse 17. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, verse 19. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Again, we're focusing on verse 19, where Rebecca, after giving a drink to Eleazar, the servant, said these words, and, you know, they, they grab us. It's a very simple but yet profound truth. He says, I will draw for your camels until they have finished drinking. We learned last time that Rebecca was willing to go the extra mile. This was not expected of her. Amen? Maybe you'd say, big deal, what's the big deal of her drawing water for camels? Well, do you remember earlier in the scripture, we read it last time, there was, a, there was 10 camels. And do you remember camels will drink between 20 and 30 gallons of water? So what she was obligating herself to do was to stand there for about an hour and a half to two hours. A huge sacrifice. A huge sacrifice. Let them drink until they are done drinking. Well, you know, the prevalent work philosophy that we live in today, I'm, I, I'm afraid, is that the average person says, I'm going to do the least that is expected of me and try to get the most payment for it. In other words, minimum effort for maximum return. Minimum effort for maximum return. Well, what we're going to look at through Scripture is that I believe the Lord desires just the opposite. 
just the opposite. And I left you last time with these three words. Hope you remember these words. There's things that we say regularly. Three words. And then some. In your job, in your relationships, in your marriage, and in your church, and then some. And then some. But what do we learn from the story of Rebecca, this Rebecca principle? Number one, Rebecca teaches us, don't despise the little jobs. Every evening, Rebecca would go and get water for the family. Um, I was in Uganda a couple years ago, maybe about three years ago, and this was a regular process. The Where the orphanage was... Uh, that we have been a part of, that Peter and Phoebe lead, there's a well. And of course, like uh, like many other villages in U- in Uganda, they are they they are uh, they are built due to the water sources. So people would come from four or five miles away, walking to get water, and they'd take these things called jerry cans that held five, six, seven gallons, extremely heavy, and carry them and put them on their head and carry them home. Kids would. Uh, we had to do it just a couple times and it was all I could do to carry two from here to the kitchen. And these kids are having to carry them barefooted four or five miles just so their family would survive. We would have to carry those jerry cans to fill up the toilets because you didn't have running water. You'd had to fill the thing up so it would flush. I was willing to do that. But... Uh, she went out and did the same mundane job every single day. Every single day, this boring, menial tasks. Have you got any of those in your life? Don't despise them. Our Lord said that we had to be faithful in the little things in order to rule over many things. I know an awful lot of people that want to take the quantum leap, and I have been one of them, that want to have the big job, the big position, the big salary, everything. Don't despise the small ones. In fact, I want to tell you something about the small jobs. It's the small jobs where you learn the principles to make you effective in the big ones. Let's say you work at McDonald's, but you don't give them your best effort because you're just getting through college and someday you're going to be a big engineer or doctor or whatever you're thinking. But if you aren't doing the best job down there flipping those burgers over, you're not and you're not giving your best at McDonald's, I want to tell you something. You are not going to do your best as an engineer. You'll cut corners. You'll get sloppy. We see people all the time sitting on the curbs of life, letting opportunities pass them by because they can't get the right salary, the right raise, the right job. And they're just saying, I'm just going to sit here until the right thing comes along. Don't despise the small jobs. I read of a guy named Jack who was in college. He was working at a meat factory. He was the guy that would put the jacket on and go into the meat uh, freezer and pull the meat out. And when that was done, he was a part of doing the, uh, well, he would cure the, the ham. And he would go around and ask all kinds of questions. How do you do this? How do you do that? He kept asking all these questions. What, what else can I learn to do? And finally, another guy, Joe, walked up to him and said, quit asking all those questions. And Jack said, Why? And Joe said, because if you don't know anything else, you won't have to do anything else. 
That's a real winner for you, isn't it? Joe says, look at me every day at 2.30, I'm out of here, baby, I'm gone. Joe says, you start asking these questions and he'll give you more jobs and you'll have more things to do and you won't get to go home. That is where America is today. Get by with as little as possible. Let me ask you, what kind of witness is that to the boss who doesn't go to church or read his Bible or know God? When he sees sloppiness or shoddiness or cutting corners and getting by with just as little as you can. If I was a non-Christian boss, I wouldn't want to know the God that he wants to talk about. If that's the way that he is, a slacker, not willing to do what he's called to do, falling short. And, you know, that's where we are. do, do, Do you realize that everything that you do in the workplace represents God? Everything you do, you are a representation of who God is. And who you're trying to lead that person to. And when they see you stumbling around and doing things you shouldn't do. They associate that to the God that you are trying to lead them to. Now I want you to know that there's grace and mercy. Because you're going to mess up. You're not going to be perfect. But we can certainly do better. Amen. Number two. First one, don't despise the little jobs. Number two, don't wait for the big moments. Run into people all the time that say, well, my goodness, I can hardly wait until I get to this well. Until I go down to the city gates. The city gates are where all the big boys are. That's where they sit and they talk and they make big decisions. It's not, I'm not happy where I am. I can't wait until I get there. Have you ever known anybody that's waiting for that big break? That big job? That big pie in the sky? Well, boy, when that comes in, I will be happy. I want to tell you right now, if you're not happy with what you're doing right now, you won't be happy with what you wind up doing tomorrow. Why? Because happiness is not a position in the company. Happiness is a disposition in the mind. People say, I bet you're happy in your church. You know, you've got a growing church, a lot happening here at this church. Well, let me tell you, I was happy as a sound guy. I was happy as a lark as a sound guy. I didn't know how much I was going to love that. And then as, as I started, uh, you know, I was back there with uh, Justin, you may remember, Phil Lewis back there doing sound with him. And I remember making a comment to him, boy, it would be so much fun to play on the worship team. I'd never played. I'd played a little bit of piano growing up, took lessons. But the Lord was starting to draw me and giving me that desire, and I was just sitting there. And you know what? Just, just through me serving back there, the Lord made a position for me up here on the piano. And then you all know the rest of the story. But I was just as happy as a worship leader. I love to lead worship. I love to, I love it. I love being your pastor. I loved it at Express Loop. Now, there are things that I don't love about work, but I'm happy. Happy is not a position. Happy is a decision. And you know what? Scripture tells us, it commands us to rejoice. What happens when you rejoice? You start actually feeling better. You may not feel like it at first. I bet you when you came in here for worship, you weren't feeling all that great. But as we started to really worship, you started to feel better. God knows. God knows how to get you out of what you're going through. If you're not happy where you are, you're not going to be happy where you're going. It drives me crazy when people say, I'll be happy if I just get married. If you're not happy as a single person, you're not going to be happy as a married person. The only thing you're going to do is make the other person unhappy. 
Number three, help people along the way and you'll always be a blessing. Pour your life into others and I want to promise you, you will always be a blessing. Again, I'm going to make this statement again. You want to get out of your pit, help somebody out of theirs. Are you, are you knee deep in a mess? Help somebody out of theirs. Help people and you'll always be a blessing. Number four, here it is again. Do your best and then some. If you cheat your employer and God, you cheat your employer and God when you don't do your best and then some. Give it all you got. Give it all you got. My, uh, my son, we were at the beach this week and he was learning to skimboard. And, you know, risk is involved. Risk is involved. And I told him just one time, I said, Pete, you're going to have to just be willing to just completely wipe out to learn. You're going to have to fall down. You really don't learn until you fall down. You really don't learn until you really dig in and try to give it all you got. And I tried it a couple times and I couldn't do it. I just, I finally told Pete, I said, Pete, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just watching you and trying to think I know what you're, what you need to do. And I'm telling you that. And it's like a coach that's never played. I played for a golf coach that never played golf. That was a really funny uh, experience. He was my basketball coach and the loudest speaker ever. You could hear him four holes away. You know, and that doesn't work well either for golf. But whenever he'd just try to give us tips, we would just laugh and say, okay, then go on. Uh, that's really authoritative, isn't it? Uh, really, anyway, give it your best and then some. Number five, and we're almost done. When God opens a door, go through it. Y'all ever heard of Yogi Berra? Old Yankees baseball player, not Yogi the Bear. I've had people, I've quoted Yogi Berra, and they said, man, that Yogi Berra was funny. Not Yogi Bear. Yogi Berra makes all these funny comments like on Aflac. If you watch the Aflac commercials, he said, it's never over till it's over. He said, it's deja vu all over again. He says, people never go to that restaurant anymore because they're so busy. Are y'all here? Did they all just go right over your head? Well, Yogi Berra said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. He has all these things. But when God opens a door, go through it. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, how many of you have asked God to give you a sign or to show you that what you're doing is the right thing, and God shows you, and you ask for another sign? I've done it. You know what? That's not new. There was a time, I believe it was Gideon that said, God, I need this to happen. But if it's going to happen, I want you to, I want you to put the dew on the fleece like this. And he wakes up the next morning and there it is. And he thinks, no, I'm not sure that was you. Now I want the fleece to be on the top and the dew to be on the bottom. God says, okay. And he does that. You know what? When God opens the door, Go. Quit waiting. Go. You may fall down again. Like I was telling you on the skimmer board, you may wipe out. But if God told you to go, God knew you're going to wipe out. He just needed to teach you how to not wipe out. So that when you get down the road and a big wave comes, you don't crash. You learn to keep going up. But you had to be willing to get on it before you can ever get to the big wave. You know, in, in surfing that you got to ride the little ones before you can ride the big ones. 
but you got to ride the little ones. I'm not a surfer. I, I, I probably look, act like I'm, I know everything. I don't. I'm not a surfer. But I do know if you're going to learn to walk, you need to crawl. God doesn't bypass the, the, the system. God wants you to do the little things and work your way into the big things. But if you're not willing to do the little things, he's not going to give you the big things. I'm yelling and I'm not really meaning to yell. When God gives you an opportunity, when you have the right attitude and you've got the right motives, you walk through that door. You go for it. How many of you, and again, don't raise your hand, have had a word from God to do something and you're waiting for another sign? You don't need another sign. Go do it. Go do it. Risk doing rather than not doing. You know what the, the Lord says about not doing? What did he say about the, the talents with the ten and the five and the, the one? The one that did nothing got it taken away from and rebuked. And given to the ones that did something. What has the Lord told you to do? Go do it. Risk everything. You know what? You, you risk looking like a fool. Looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. <laughs> Sometimes I get out there and I wished I hadn't gone. At least you're responding. I have been there where the Lord has told me to do something and I've asked him to show me again. And sometimes he doesn't. He's waiting to see, will you move on the word that he gave you? Sometimes he has. I'm, I'm not God. I just know when he speaks, you're safe to go. Did y'all hear that? You're safe to go. It's God's problem. God said, do it. You go do it. The results are his problem. You make all things work together for my good. Let's continue on. You know, when, when, when he came up to, when Eleazar came up to Rebecca and he asked, Rebecca went for it. I'll feed all your camels too. I'll give your camels drink. Let's look at verse uh, 54. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And when they arose in the morning, the servant said, send my, send. that's all right. I'd been asking him to turn it. I'm not reading that fast. Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10. Afterwards, she may go. You catch this? Hey, stick around. I, I, I know the Lord's brought you here and the Lord's done all this, but don't go yet. Don't go yet. This is a lot of times where we are, maybe as a family. The Lord spoke to one, one, one of the, uh, one of the uh, spouses, and the other one's like, ah, let's just wait a little bit longer. Look what he says. And he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, and I may go to my master. And they said, we'll call the girl and consult her wishes. We know her. She'll, she'll lean with us. And then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. Say that with me. I will go. It's a big statement. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't know to who she was going. She just knew the Lord had called her. And she didn't know when she, had, when she was going to water these, these camels that she was going to become in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It was her and then some attitude that positioned her 
to wind up under the under the family tree of Abraham. The blessings of Abraham covered her because of her ability, her willingness to say, I'm going to do more than what's expected of me. I'm going to do more than what's expected of me. Her motives were right. She was a second mile person. And when God opened the door, she took it. I'm going to walk right through. And I want to tell you what I believe about God. I believe God looks for people who exhibit excellence in the marketplace, who give maximum effort. I believe he wants to open doors and bless you and your job and help you gain the position needed to be to have the most influence that you absolutely could over our city for Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. That if you will just start getting after it where you are. You know, in all the miracles that, that the Lord provided, he used what he had. It was what he had possession of. It was what he could get his hands on, whether it was a stick or dirt. What God needs to do in your life, you already have. God's going to do it through what you already have. Will you all pray with me? Let me just ask you, I wonder how many of you would say if I were to ask you, Pastor, I want you to pray about my job. Maybe you've lost one. Maybe you're looking for one. Maybe you've got some options and questions about the one that you're in. With every head bowed, how many would just sneak up their hand and just say, Pastor, I need you to pray with me about my job. I see those hands. I see those hands. How many of you would say, Lord, I need help in my job. I need help. I see that. I see those. I need help in my job. I need help in my job. Let me just pray over you. Father, I just thank you for everybody that raised their hand. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to be like Rebecca. And walk that second mile. Help it be said about us. They did their job and then some. They were a wonderful husband and then some. They were a wonderful wife and then some. Help us to live that dimension of life. Every hand that was raised, Lord, you know right where their journey is. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would guide them. Give them peace and direction. Help us here at Church on the Hill to not raise Christians that just sing songs on Sunday morning. But walk into the marketplace with a new attitude, with a smile on their face, with an uncommon positive attitude and an extra effort that will glorify your name. Lord, we thank you for the jobs that we have. We thank you for the jobs that you're going to provide. And Lord, just like Eleazar, Lord, we ask for help in expectation of an answer. God, your word says that I called. You answered. I call and you answer. I thank you, Lord, that you are making provision right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be here today and in need of prayer for a health issue. You may have a, a need of, of a relationship or maybe it's a financial need. Maybe you've never even received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been trying to make it on every, every way that you can. But you know that your way isn't working. Is that you? Would you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. 
just real quickly, just slip your hand up and just say, Pastor, I need Jesus. With no one looking around. I need Jesus. Thank you. Well, if you have a prayer need, if you are in need of of, uh, healing or maybe you have a family member that is, maybe you're just battling a, a marriage. Maybe it is your job. Just want y'all to step out and let us pray with you. Will everybody stand up? We're going to sing a, a chorus. And those that are ministering, come on down. And we're just going to be ready for you to step out and just let us pray with you. In Jesus' name, amen.